Hello, and thanks for tuning in. This is Zoe Midler, host and moderator of the Not A Rocking Chair Librarian podcast, and this is episode 27, Sustainability and Advocacy with Pennsylvania Teacher Librarians. I'm continuing conversations with TLs about the impact COVID-19 mitigation and remote crisis learning and librarianship has had on their roles, community members, and library librarian advocacy moving forward. Joining me today are four Pennsylvania teacher librarians, Allison Mackley, Deborah Brown, Ellen Strelaski, and Carrie Killian. The timing of this podcast is a bit serendipitous as the Pennsylvania School Librarians Association, PSLA, has made June 22nd, 2020, hashtag Save School Librarians Day. The PSLA has posted an open letter, quote, to school boards and superintendents across Pennsylvania who are considering cuts to their school library programs, unquote. I encourage all my listeners to read the open letter and check out all the hashtag Save School Librarians Day advocacy resources. I've included links to these resources in the podcast resource companion. Before we jump into the conversation, here's a bit about each of my guests. Allison Mackley is a National Board Certified Teacher Librarian, K-12 Library Department Coordinator, and Instructional Technology Coach at Hershey High School in the Derry Township School District. Hershey High School supports 1,170 plus students in grades 9 through 12. Allison has 14 years of middle school English classroom experience, English classroom teaching experience, and has a school and has been a school librarian since 2007. She serves on the district's professional learning committee and created the School Librarians at the Center of School Renewal and Transformation infographic for the Pennsylvania School Librarians Association to be used by school librarians in their ongoing advocacy efforts to ensure Pennsylvania schools are staffed with trained and certified K-12 librarians. You can find a link to the infographic in the podcast resource companion as well. Deborah Brown is a school library media specialist for the Harrisburg Area School District. Recently, the school district eliminated Deborah's position at the high school, so she is now in the process of transferring to an elementary teacher librarian role. She has worked as a librarian since 1999, and she was selected for the 2020 Leadership Institute for School Librarians as a developing leader, and she was a member of the Developing Leaders Academy for Pennsylvania in 2019. Uh, an additional note about Deborah, we all learned during this interview that Deborah's administrator reassigned her to a substitute teaching role responsible for teaching classes at the outset of the COVID school closure. This is possible in Pennsylvania because the library teaching certificate covers grades K-12, and as a result, an administrator can place or reassign a TL into another K-12 teaching role. Ellen Strelaski is a librarian at the Saint, at St. Mary's Area Middle School in St. Mary's, Pennsylvania. As a librarian, she works to promote collaboration, technology, a love of reading, and information literacy skills. She's currently participating in real in the Realize Project, which stands for Rural Engagement to Advance Learning and STEM Digitally, and she co-chairs the Pennsylvania Young Readers Choice Award Committee. Ellen is also the middle school coordinator for the Pennsylvania and New Jersey Connected Library Consortium. She's a Microsoft Innovative Education Expert and was awarded the ISTE Librarians Network PLN Secondary Award in 2018. She also organizes monthly Twitter chats through PA LibChat. Uh, that's hashtag PA LibChat. Uh, it's a great Twitter chat. I highly recommend and I often follow so I can lurk, listen and learn. Carrie Killian teaches library classes to approximately 900 students at both elementary schools in the Milton Area School District. She's passionate about bringing meaningful learning opportunities to her community. She loves her job because she gets to help students see themselves as explorers, makers, inventors, and solution finders. She's a Skype master teacher, Microsoft Innovative Educator Fellow, Nearpod Pioneer, Pennsylvania Teachers Advisory Committee Board Member and recipient of the 2017 ISTE Librarian Award. I also want to give a big shout out and thank you to Heather Lister, Founder and Chief Education Officer with Construct Learning for helping me connect with Deborah, Ellen, Allison, and Carrie. To find these TLs on social media and access links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit the Not A Rocking Chair Librarian podcast Wakelet Collection. If you have Wakelet, uh, a Wakelet account, all you have to do is just search for Not A Rocking Chair Librarian and the collection should pop right up. Or you can go to tinyurl, all one word, tinyurl.com slash 
resource companion, all one word, resource companion. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at ZMidler. Remember, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so great to have you all here, Pennsylvania teacher librarians. Um, if you all want to give a shout out to Pennsylvania, that would be awesome. <laughs> Go Pennsylvania. <laughs> Hello, Pennsylvania. <laughs> great, excellent. All right, so I'm going to jump right into the conversation. Uh, so I thought I would start, Allison, with you. Um, can you share some of your initial thoughts when the word came down that your school school district state was closing um, in-person instruction to mitigate COVID spread? Sure. I, I had so many thoughts at that point. I, I think my first um, emotion was a sense of loss because as a school librarian um, and as school librarians in general, I think we're often tied to the sense of place within our library. Uh, but then I started to think about something that I've always said, and a library isn't just a space or a place. It's a feeling you get when you walk through the doors. So I started thinking about how do I translate what I do in the library and in the classrooms to online. So with so many resources coming at us from everywhere, all of the you know, free vendor resources and support that we are getting through emails, I was very careful about sharing things at first. I wanted to make sure that I could curate some of the best resources. I used Wakelet to share some social emotional learning resources with my district administrators. And I started sharing sporadically um, throughout kind of the, across the weeks, information to our teachers and faculty about how to access our eBooks and audiobooks. And one of the first things I actually did was send an email out through our circulation system just to let the students know that I understand that a lot of them had books checked out <laughs> and that I hope they find a comfortable place at home to read them and to not worry about fines since we're a fine-free school and to not worry about due dates. Mm. So I was really concerned about the, the students. Um, so that's an interesting take that you said that. Um, you know, one of the things that I was reminded of, and I wonder if anybody else wants to come on, comment on this, is like, I felt like really overrun by the amount of things that were being offered to us, not only through my personal learning network, but from vendors and things like that. So, um, you know, Ellen, did you find that to be the case and you kind of had to take a step back or you tuned it mm -hmm. out or how did you deal with that? Well, I tried to just kind of get my bearings. I think the biggest reaction I had, I was so grateful that PDE made out a statement that free reduced lunches could continue throughout the pandemic. So, cause um, that was kind of my first fear of how are my kids needs being met? How can I notice things? Because I know, especially in our role, we see all of our minions and we're constantly connecting with all the resources in the school trying to help our kids become the best people they can be. And I think with this pandemic, there were so many safety nets that were lost almost instantaneously. Mm -hmm. um, and in our district, we weren't able to help with the food distribution because they wanted um, the support staff to do more of that. So um, I try, found my local food bank was accepting volunteers. So I started helping there once a week to try and feel less helpless <laughs> and think about how I can get in and help everyone's needs. Um, and in with digital resources, um, the biggest thing was is that I knew that we have all these fantastic things for now, but thinking of what's sustainable um, and looking at what we already had to leverage first and then start adding in some new things to sprinkle on top of that. And I was really lucky that our district, um, we have a very strong, well, it's both in our district and in our building that we're very good at the technology and we had laid the groundwork that our kids could use the programs we were already using. So it wasn't the best situation to try something new. Mm -hmm. So I think using that to ground myself try, kept me from getting so overwhelmed because, oh my goodness, 
so many things getting sent to us. <laughs> right. Um, Deborah, do you want to comment on what your initial thoughts were when, when the word came down? Sure. My initial thoughts were, um, oh, no, now <laughs> what? <laughs> um, um, because um, I'm in a, being in an urban district, um, the library um, sometimes is not used as well as it should be used. Um, while I had a lot of kids who had books out um, and I was in the process of trying to get them back at that point, the I just sort of like Allison wanted to let the kids know that it was okay. So basically, we, we went through the, the, the mentoring period to let them know that it was okay, that they could keep the books, you know, for themselves. And also... Um, my situation changed because I became a substitute mm -hmm. as opposed to being a librarian um, during this um, pandemic. So you left the library at, in the middle of this or beginning of this or you um, were in the was, library as a substitute? I was, I was, um, I was, the, I was a librarian. Mm -hmm. And then once we went to um, home, you know, working from home, mm -hmm. um, they didn't have enough um, teachers to cover all the classes. I see. And so then they made me take over one of the classes. Gotcha. Okay. So did that mean you weren't doing anything for the library at that point and just concentrating on that? Pretty much. Mm -hmm. I did what I could for the library. I, I was doing some web webinars and things of that nature. But for the most part, um, I had to concentrate on the three classes that they gave me. Oh, okay, that's a pretty big shift. <laughs> yes. Um, how about you, Carrie? Um, my story is very similar to uh, Allison and Ellen's, and um, I'm sure Deborah as well. We were all just thinking, how can we help our students at this point? Um, I know before the pandemic started in the United States, um, as librarians, we are mostly forward-thinking individuals that are thinking about a big picture. So before it got to the United States, I saw that some schools were shutting down in other countries and thought, what would we do if we had to shut down? And I have 900 students in two elementary buildings. And I thought, how would I connect with these students? Because right now it's, you know, phone calls and that would just be very difficult. Um, but I use Microsoft Teams, uh, not a whole lot, but I thought maybe it would be a good time to introduce that to let's try the third through fifth graders to get them on that because that would be a way that we could still communicate back and forth, chat with each other. I could share lessons that way. Um, so I thought if there was nothing else going on, it's a way that I would still be able to communicate with them. So I run, I'm on a seven day cycle and I decided to introduce teams. So I invited all third through fifth graders um, and I got up to day six. <laughs> day seven was our first day uh, that we were off for COVID. So I got almost all those students on. And that actually worked out very, very well because um, I sent an email to administrator shortly after that and said, I just want to let you know that nearly all third through fifth graders are on this platform. Uh, it works with the devices that we have. Um, and, uh, and then that actually was what our district decided to use K to 12, um, use that platform for all students and teachers to be connecting with each other. And, and for me, it was a huge blessing because it was a way for me to help those students during this time. I you know, just got several messages. Mrs. Killian, how do I log into this? Do you know my username and password for this? Um, this isn't working for me. You know, Just doing all that troubleshooting and being that extra support for them. Um, and of course, you know, my first lesson it was, you know, welcome to the virtual learning and you have your library books, same thing as Allison and Ellen, and just said, enjoy them as long as you have them, share them with your siblings and don't worry about bringing them back. You know, right now we'll figure something out when the time comes. Um, so was it? So, so yeah, it was forward thinking and just a way to stay connected. That was the main purpose was to help these students feel uh, that we're still there for them um, and they're not alone. Uh, so, so that was just the most important part for me is to stay connected. So I'm curious, was that just sort of a gut feeling you had watching the news coming, you know, from other spots in the world and you thought, well, I have the time. I mean, there's no harm, no foul in setting it up if you don't bother to use it. Right. Yes. It was totally one of those gut feelings. Should I introduce a new lesson or is now the time that I should introduce this? Yeah. <laughs> it was the time. Yeah. No, yeah. Good serendipity for sure. What are, are, are any of you, um, 
are, are any of you uh, using any kind of, you know, like Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts or Classroom? I mean, what are you guys using to stay in touch with everybody? Ellen, are you guys using anything? Um, so in our district, we're a big Google school. So mm. we did a lot of Google Classrooms and um, Google Meets. Mm. But the big thing with us because of the equity piece is we had to be asynchronous um, because, even some of our best case situations may be a big family and there's no way there's a device for every kid. Yeah. Um, so we really wanted to try and set them up for success. So we had to post our lessons at the beginning of the week and it was more so the kids would reach out to us on their schedule, which unfortunately meant I was chained to my computer most of the whole pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, but it seemed to work for us and or it was as good as we could have with the emergency situation. Sure. Um, and now we're reflecting. So if something does go down and we have to go back online, trying to figure out the best way to engage our students and focus in on the standards that really need it the most, because obviously you have to scale down the amount of activities you do. You can't do this. You can't do the same amount online. It's just not fair to the kids. Mm. Um, how about you, Deborah? Were you guys using anything like a Google Classroom or any other kind of LMS or, you know, any way to, how were you like talking to the students on a daily basis? Yes, we did. We used um, Google Classroom, but we also um, implemented Zoom. Mm -hmm. So we um, allowed the students, we gave them the connection and then we would send them the um, the Zoom invitation before the class would come in and then the students had the option to either do it by video or by phone and connect that way. Gotcha. Allison? In our school, uh, we're in middle school and high school, we're one-to-one -one with iPads. So our, our students had those iPads at home. They took them with them and we were able to leverage a lot of the tools within the Canvas learning management system. All of our teachers had content of some sort on on Canvas already, uh, so it was it was a fairly I don't want to say an easy transition, but we had some <coughs> professional learning in place already around blended learning. Mm -hmm. So, our, a lot of our teachers, uh, quite a few of our teachers in our school teach in a blended way where they're in school one or the kids are in their classroom one day. And then the other day they have a flex period oh. where a lot of times they're doing things on canvas. So we really focused on canvas and zoom. We had a schedule set up so that the students had um, four hours a day on Monday and Tuesday. So first, second, third, fourth period. And then our five, five periods, they have two, six and seven. And then there was a Wednesday was a, an office hour day so that students could get extra help, enrichment, um, whatever it was that they might need. And then we continued again on Thursday and Friday. So in some ways, school went on in terms of teaching and learning similar to what it would have been if we were in the emo uh, emergency remote situation. Uh, but so much is lost, at t you know, when you're not in front of the kids and you can't see their reactions and, um, you know, you don't, you don't know how they're feeling. You can't read their facial expressions. But at the same time, I think a lot of good came out of it because we found that some students had um, a greater voice since they were able to share through a flip grid or through a discussion board or through a collaborative piece of work. So... You know, there's a really um, pretty even balance in terms of what I saw of face-to-face -face learning and emergency remote teaching and learning. Uh, and there were so many lessons that were learned from it, positive and negative. So something I want to pick up on is that, you know, we're talking about digital resources and being able to connect. And I just want to talk about the equity issue there. So... Allison, in your environment, it sounds like um, having be you know having iPads and being able to connect was maybe not a big issue for your student population. Um, Ellen, was that true for your population as well? I, I'm just I'm thinking about connectivity, and I'm also um, thinking about you know you said something about being asynchronous and having to be sort of available to them 
you know, well beyond what we would normally think of our working hours. So I'm just wondering, you know, was that a, was that an issue for you guys? Um, could everybody get on and get online and there was no issues? So it was a little tricky. Um, we're a really rural district um, and just like Carrie is, and we did our best. Our district um, loaned out Chromebooks if the parents requested them, but some parents preferred for us to mail them packets. So for certain classes that I would collaborate with, it was basically creating two sets of lesson plans and I would have a roster of kids that would get mailed packets and trying to make sure that they were still getting the concept in a way that was valuable and efficient. And then the rest of my kids were online, um, which was definitely tricky. Um, and the, it was a lot of figuring out also, they were all on different types of devices. So when a kid would call me and ask to troubleshoot, it would figure out, are they on a Chromebook? Are they on a desktop? Are they on their parents' phone? Um, and it, it really, it definitely stretched my technological skills of figuring out how to help the kids and steer them in the right direction. Um, the one thing that was kind of fabulous with in Pennsylvania that we have, um, in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, we have the Connected Library Consortium which was saved my rear end with, um, <laughs> oh my goodness, I can't even express. So for a school my size, I pay a decent amount of, a, a small amount of money. And I, because we're working as two states together to order eBooks, we have a shared collection that is fabulous and robust. And so it was nice. So when I went online, I knew I could still offer digital resources to these kids and it it was it just made me feel a little better knowing that they had something and it wasn't the game of trying to figure out how to get them books or dropping off books at the meal drops or whatever. Ellen, this is Allison. I was thankful in the same way. It was our school is part of the consortium, so I was able to offer students and teachers ebooks and audiobooks and databases through we use Mac and Via as the platform and we also received thousands of free for a limited time books from Mackin. So that really filled in any holes that I have. And I also, in, I think all of us on, on the chat here on the podcast probably subscribe to our state's power library databases. And there's just thousands of dollars worth of databases. I, I I might even say a million dollars worth of databases that we can receive from our state if we participate in their interlibrary loan um, process. So even schools that don't have a budget to purchase additional databases, we have a really great collection through our, through our state. And I also wanted to mention, although our middle and high school kids are one-to-one -one with iPads, our uh, tech department and our administrators did track, we, we tracked attendance. Mm -hmm. And if the administrators and technology directors saw that there were students who weren't connecting with a teacher at, at, a, at all, they checked in with them personally and made sure that they all had hotspots so that they could access the tools that they needed. Whereas, and this is Ellen again, what we did was we shared out our tech department and our admins shared out the hotspots that were located in the community. So the public library never shut down their hotspots and it kind of broke your heart because sometimes a flip grid would come through and you're like, the kid is in his car. The mom cared enough to drive the kid to a hotspot so they could do their homework. And I mean, the equity was just especially, I'm sure, Carrie, you deal with the same thing in rural areas. And Deborah, I can't even imagine what it's like in urban areas. Um, I am. I'm really curious. I know, Carrie, you've written a blog post about this as well. And I know you've done another podcast where you've talked about this. Um, so what's it been like out there for you? And, you know, I say out there, like I'm thinking, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And I don't, that's, that's sort of the visual that comes to my mind when I know that's not true. So yeah, what's it been like for you? Um, it, it makes it, it adds a, another level of stress to the whole factor for, for sure. Um, I live in central Pennsylvania and where I live, um, 
we we don't have cable. Um, th that's not an option to have cable internet. So basically, I have three people in my house that were using hotspots on our phones because our um, MiFi for our house ran out after the first two weeks. We lost all high speed internet. So it it just made. I mean, you, we think of the students, but there's also teachers out there um, who have children that are in school and they're using the internet, and teachers are using the internet. And um, not only are you are you thinking about how you're connecting with your students, but you're you're thinking of how is my child going to be able to connect, you know, to make sure I'm not doing a Zoom call or doing a Teams meeting, anything live while they are, because it'll knock them off of their call. Um, it just takes a lot more planning and everything. But I know for my family, unfortunately, we spent a lot of time staring at a blank screen waiting for it to load. But as a teacher, that also made me realize I need to be careful in what I'm putting out there for activities for my students to do, because I know some of them are in the same boat where um, there isn't much Internet. So, um, you know, just limiting the length of videos or even amount of videos that um, for them to do uh, and things like that, because I know it just takes a long time for them to load. So uh, thankfully, our district um, uh, K to five, we have iPads. We're one to one with iPads and six through 12 that has laptops. And third through fifth graders, we're taking their iPads home all year. That Friday, before we all left, there was an announcement that came over at the end of the day. Hey, good news, kindergarten through second grade, you get to take your iPads home today. <laughs> so it was the first time for our little ones to take their iPads and devices home. And I tell you what, the equity piece, we had the devices. We have families that have internet and some that don't. The biggest question that we weren't asking is, what kind of internet is available to you? So I would say, yes, I have internet at my house, but I didn't realize how poor it was until three of us tried using it at the same time for hours on end every day. Um, but the students who did not have internet, our district jumped on the ball right away and anyone who needed hotspots, um, we got those available to them. And also teachers could get hotspots. So, um, I think it's important for districts to think about those things as well when they're they're thinking about the equity of providing those resources. So um, so as far as devices, we had those, but you know our parents um, and our teachers just did an amazing job because here's our youngest learners, kindergarten through second. They've never had their iPads at their home before. Um, they're using Microsoft Teams, which was brand new. Um, all of our teachers, it was brand new to use that platform, and they learned it in two days and just jumped on board because they knew they had to. Um, our district really wanted to make sure that our, our students were seeing their teachers. So at 9.15 every morning, um, the classes had a morning meeting with their teacher uh, for about 15 to 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. And then um, we used some of the other programs, and we just did math and reading and some STEM activities, uh, and then every specialist um, would give an assignment on a platform, and the students had a week to complete those. So art, music, gym, library, and guidance, we would give out one assignment every week, and then um, have a week to uh, check those 900 assignments and, and give feedback to the students that were doing those. Um, it was a lot of work, and, and like Ellen said, I was chained to my computer uh, a, a lot of the times, but not just checking the assignments, but mostly helping families uh, and students, you know, know how to use the different programs and platforms. And one thing we did say is we did not want to introduce it, um, a ton of new things at all at this time because we knew just using uh, our, the platform you're using was new. And um, that was big in itself. And like Ellen and Allison stated, I chose to use uh, Mac and Via. I'm like, you know, this will be a great time to introduce that because it's going to be a program and a platform. Uh, the resources there, we're going to have next school year and we're going to use them next school year. I was very cautious of, of all the companies offering free until the end of June because um, how sustainable would that be for the district? Um, would we get something and then not be able to pay for it or afford it, you know, for the upcoming school year? So um, that that's what we did. And and yes, the the, the connectivity and it poses a problem, but it also makes you realize that I had to slow down um, my my learning and my teaching. 
um, when I submitted an assignment, it was just plain text. I didn't even add pictures um, or video. I wanted it very simple and very easy and very quick for them to access. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't, I mean, everybody, you know, was like, oh, I'm going to hand out a laptop to everybody. And, you know, there you go. Problem solved. Um, so I, I think it, I think everybody's been on sort of a learning curve about that and all the assumptions that we made. Deborah, have you found that, I mean, I don't know what your school is like. I don't know what their access to devices and everything is like um, well, and, connect, and connectivity issues as well. Well, we did have uh, several con uh, connection problems. Um, we, the district started out by um, collaborating and working with the uh, public um, TV, the, the public uh, TV stations, um, WTIF, and they put together different lessons at different times of the day so the students could access it um, just through their television or through um, their cell phones. Um, they also put together um, different hotspots throughout the city um, so they could, the students to, could connect for free through their Wi-Fi. Um, they also um, handed out laptops, Chromebooks, tablets. Um, we got a tech grant that was given to us. And so um, I think we were able to give um, um, tablets and devices to everyone from grades three and up. So everyone was able to get a, um, a, a device and use it. And um, the I believe they still have the devices unless they were seniors, they had to turn them in. So there was a collaboration between the public television station and the school or school district? Yes. Oh, wow, that's uh, that's not something I've heard of before. Yes, and it's still going on now. I mean, they even they still uh, have it, access to it through the summer. That's fascinating. Had any of you heard about any of that? Someone was telling me about the awesome things going on. Because, uh, Deborah, you're out near Philly, right? No, I'm actually in Harrisburg. Harrisburg, Okay. But I, I, there were a couple of people who were really jealous of the awesome partnership that were going on, and it was it was really exciting to hear about it. Yeah, yes. I mean, I mean, when I think about it, like you know, it, not everybody's going to have a device, but pretty much everybody's got a television set, which is, I mean, that's kind of fantastic, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Deborah. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, I was just going to say yes. And it, it seemed that the students, especially the younger students, were um, able to access it and get, um, you know, a lot out of it. Yeah, no, I'm, that's uh, I mean, like I said, televisions are far more ubiquitous and um, most people have some sort of, um, you know, television package, even if it's mm -hmm. even if it is a local if it's a local um, public television station, you don't necessarily even need cable. I mean, some people no. can get that through mm -hmm. an antenna. Yeah, through the old through yes. the way we used to do it, which is, right. of course, dating myself completely. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> OK, so the, the question I have for you guys next is and you've, you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but I'm curious how your role did evolve um, from those very early days until, I mean, until I assume everybody's on summer break at this point, like, you know, were there things that you thought would happen that didn't happen or things you tried that didn't work and you had to learn from that? I know, Carrie, you even you alluded to that a little bit with, you know, just making sure that you weren't packing um, lessons full of things like videos and it, they were just very, you know, text oriented kind of things. So I'm just, I'm curious what others have learned in the process. Um, Allison, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I learned is that I really need uh, the collaboration of the teachers in order to even access the students. Mm. I, I do teach an online course uh, called Passion Driven Research with some of the ninth through 12th graders, and I could easily access and communicate with them. But with all of the other students, other than our school social media or through the students, or sorry, through the teachers and their Canvas platforms, I wasn't able to share with them all of the resources that we have and the help tips and the, um, so that was really new to me, trying to figure out how to communicate with them. And, you know, and luckily the, our school district is really great with their social media and our, and our teachers are fantastic with sharing resources. So I just kept putting those resources out as a reminder what I'm hoping and what one of my, the upper level administrators said to me is now maybe um, the students will remember that those resources are there all the time and not, you know, not have to have that 
lesson on research or lesson on information literacy uh, because they would have been used to using the virtual environment of, of my library. So, and so one of the things I did do is I started to really tweak and update my virtual presence, mm -hmm. whether it be through my own social media platforms or my school library or Wakelet um, collections or um, Follett collections. Uh, and I also found that I was busy, that I realized that busy is not necessarily good. <laughs> so at school, I am always busy. If you were to pop in the library at any time during the day, I look busy. But busy isn't always productive and busy always doesn't allow for creativity. Mm -hmm. so I found that I was able to be more creative during this time than any other time in my career uh, because I had extended periods of time where I could create things for uh, our school district is offering professional development through Canvas. And I was able to, with the uh, technology instructor and one of the assistant principals, create two of the modules for a professional development for our teachers, one on virtual articulation, uh, um, because, no, sorry, vertical articulation, because we want all the teachers to be aware of what was taught, what learning targets were taught during the fourth marking period in our school when we were remote, and, and what should the teachers, you know, expect from their students as they're coming in. And then I, all of our teachers are on Canvas, but all at different levels. I've been teaching using Canvas for a full online course for five years. Some teachers, like I said, are using it for maybe announcements or just for putting some content on. So the second module I created was uh, so that it, it was all about Canvas. I created it through choice boards where the, the teachers had to, um, complete certain choice items in the columns. And then they had um, their choice of other items to kind of fill in their knowledge gaps regarding Canvas to make sure that we all start, that all teachers have um, the same platform and very similar setup. So it's not so confusing to the students. Mm -hmm. And I, I, think, I think the creative part is what, I, one of the things that, I knew before, but I couldn't experiment with before was the time that I'm most productive. I paid attention to that because our school has been looking at shifting our time for for secondary school a little bit later in the school year. And it, that's actually going to happen next year because of how teens need sleep and what their, you know, their rhythms are. And I found that I have one too. I work really well uh, in the morning. And then I work really well, again, starting at maybe five or six o'clock. Um, so that time in the middle of the day is, you know, I, I keep thinking, what do I do at school that keeps me going, that gives, keeps, continues giving me that adrenaline rush that I can be productive. And then I started also thinking about, well, what do I do during that time? Um, so it's really made me think about time, about shifts in time, about how we're all different in the way we learn, and that being busy is not is not productive or creative. So I have to really consider what I, I feel as though I've been really supportive and helpful during this time, because I'm also one of the districts um, instructional technology coaches. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to help people in that way. Uh, but I have to really think about, well, what boundaries do I need to have around my work at school so I'm not just busy? Gotcha. Ellen, how about you? Have things have things changed or, has, or have things evolved for you? I mean, are you finding more time for um, self-reflection? <laughs> I'm more of the opposite. I was really, my teachers and I have a fabulous relationship where um, I think the nice way to put it is a lack of boundaries. Um, so for collaboration, they put me in their Google Classrooms. So the mandate we got from our district that when we started going online was treat it like the first few weeks of school, reestablish norms, reestablish routines. So unfortunately, during the first few weeks of school, I never do a lot of projects because the teachers are establishing their routines. So the first few weeks, it was more of me being behind the scenes. And as kids would post questions and comments, 
I could tag in and help some of the teachers that maybe weren't the strongest with technology or even just be a partner in crime because a lot of my colleagues had small children or have stuff going on in their life that um, it's just better to divide and conquer. And then as we started getting the routines established, we got right back into my teachers would schedule me for collaborative lessons. We would ref uh, talk about what skills we wanted covered. I'd post the lessons and it would be a really nice um, give and take between the two of, between the teachers and myself. And I loved the fact that I didn't, because uh, there were so many fantastic librarians on Twitter posting out ways that they were reaching out to their teachers. And it would be like cute menus or different things. I love that my teachers, I just basically send a one-line email saying, hey, I'm here if you need me, here's my cell phone number. And my teachers know that I'm a safe person to come to. And they used me to my full potential. Good. How about you, Deborah? I know you were going through a bit of a shift, so I'm wondering what that was like for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, initially when um, we began, I just kind of tapped into um, faculty meetings, listened in. Um, I would send um, emails out, like when we would get things about, you know, free access or databases and things like that. I mean, I definitely reminded them about the Power Library um, and what, you know, how useful that could be to them and about the chat with the librarian for the students. Um, and then, um, you know, after, things changed and they tagged me to be a substitute, um, I basically went from being a librarian to being a substitute teacher. And But if someone had a question, I would certainly ans answer it. Um, but mostly it was through emails. We really, I didn't really have any other kind of um, access, I guess, to students other than the ones that I were, I was teaching. So some, some percentage of the staff still, even though you were in the substitute role, was still viewing you as the librarian and was still, you know, ping you occasionally for information. And you were being proactive as a librarian in that role, still sending out information to them about resources, correct? Yes, okay, correct. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. okay. um, Carrie, you've alluded to some of the things you did, but is there some, I mean, what other things have you learned or have changed from the beginning from you to now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and I'm sure, um, I'm sure it's a long list for all of us. But <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Uh, this one, my heart really goes out to you, Deborah. I'm sure you took that, that news and it was heartbreaking, but I am positive you took that with grace and you did that class in an amazing way. And also, you know, fielded those questions from your teachers. Um, so, you know, kind of doing double duty. I'm sure you felt like that. Yes. Um, <laughs> nice work. Um, uh, I will say, like I said, the platform that we used and, you know, Allison said that they use Canvas, Ellen uses Google, we use uh, Microsoft Teams. And as a librarian or any related arts or specialist teacher, that has been a huge lifesaver because we can reach out um, to anyone real quickly. And I can honestly say that I had fewer emails because if I got a question from a teacher, I would jump on Teams and just type their name in and say, hey, I saw you had this question. Let's let's figure this out together. So and, and real quick. And it's got the cool three little dots and someone else is typing. So you're like, oh, they're on now. So you just have this conversation back and forth, which is so much easier than replying to an email, waiting to see till they read an email and then reply. So that was absolutely wonderful to answer in real time and to help teachers right away um, with some questions that they had. And it helped them, you know, knowing that I had, you know, I was doing classes in the same platform that they're using. Um, so they would ask, how did you do this? What would you do? Um, but one great thing for me was that I had also direct contact with every student that was on the Microsoft Teams. And so that's all 900. So it was easier, a lot easier for me to let students know if they still had a library book out, like at the end of the year. Um, it took a lot less time to copy and paste a message that said, you know, you still have a library book out. Let me know if you need reminded of what it is um, and here are the times to bring them back. 
So just to paste that message to, I did it to every individual student and the response was immediate. Um, and it, it took a lot less time than phone calls, like I said. So I found a new platform that as long as um, the teachers and the district uh, are using it, it, it was a very great way for, for us to um, connect with, with families. And, and that's one of the, the bonuses I saw from this whole thing is that our parent involvement, our parent connections, um, they were very involved and, you know, they had to be, um, but did an amazing job making sure that their students were connected. And just like uh, some of the other librarians said, uh, we had our principals at the end of the week uh, send an email saying, if you have any child that you were not able to connect with this week, let us know. And then the principals would reach out and they would do everything they can to connect with those students. But there were very few uh, students that did not um, get some sort of connection with their teacher. Um, so, so that was good, but definitely like communicating and keeping in touch with everyone and just being there. I mean, we're librarians, we build these relationships all year long with our, with our colleagues and with our students. Um, you know, you wanna continue those relationships and, and continue to be that uh, servant leader, you know, in, in all aspects. Well, it's interesting to me because, you know, I, as a librarian myself, you know, the thing I depended on was that on-demand moment, right, where somebody would walk in the library and ask me for help with this, or can you help me find that? Or you do the drive-by in the hallway where you saw an opportunity to, like, you know, sort of insert yourself and say, hey, I could collaborate with you on that. I could help you with this. And I wondered what this environment of, you know, remote librarianship would do to those opportunities. But it sounds like all of you have found a way or a rhythm to replace that you know, is that, is that accurate? I mean, Ellen, do you feel like that's true? Absolutely. And the one thing that's nice is um, I know that we do a little Twitter chat online with PA Lib Chat. And it was, I, it was, I loved hearing everyone's ideas because it wasn't too polished. It was everyone just saying, here's what I'm doing. I think it's working for me. Feel free to use ideas. And we all just try to do the best we can to meet the needs of our community and even though it may have looked different and some areas may look more polished than others, it we did the best we could. I, I just want to give a shout out to PA LibChat because I have lurked, listened, and learned <laughs> on PA LibChat a few times. Um, it's a pretty robust group. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm always impressed with all of the you know state level uh, librarian chats that go on, but PA LibChat's um, been. I mean, it's. Like I said, it's it's a great thing to lurk, listen, and learn on, and I'll definitely add that into our into the resource companion for for this podcast, <laughs> so people can check it out. Um, has anybody else? Does anybody else want to comment on this idea that you know, you know, we can we? I don't. I'm not sure we can replace that face to face stuff that we do, like on the spur of the moment, um, in real time, on demand. Um, but have you come close to it? And and I mean, has the virtual existence? Um, put a damper on that at all. I'll let anybody go go with that one. <laughs> this, this is Allison. First, I want to say that the PA Lib Chat was a lifesaver because, um, and I am so thankful that Ellen um, manages that and pulls in different people to to moderate. It, it created a very close community for school librarians right away when we needed it. And Ellen was you know, aware enough to know that we needed weekly <laughs> PA lib chats rather than monthly PA lib chats. And we learned so much from, from one another. Um, the uh, one thing that I did for that just in time um, support for students is I added a chat, um, chat link, a chat to my webpage. So down at the little, at the very bottom, they could either click it. And if I was offline, send me, fill out a little form that would send me an email so I could get back to the student and help with whatever it is they were needing help with, whether it be, you know, research or technology or, or books or databases. Um, but then sometimes it was a little speech bubble. Like we've all seen those on companies' websites and then they could chat live with me. Um, so I was really, that was something that was brand new for me that I had to learn and figure out. And that was my way of helping students at their point of need. How about you, Carrie? 
Um, yeah, helping my students at their point of need. I think by introducing the platform that they were going to be using through all of this, um, they knew they th could come to me with, with questions with that or with anything else that wasn't quite working because that's what we do. You know, you, I teach 40 minutes fixed schedule. So I see every student, all 900 of them. And if they have a question with their device or something's not working right, you know, let me check it out while everyone else is checking, look, you know, looking for library books and we'll see if we can figure this out. So you do become, you know, the problem solver, solution finder, and, and they know that, which is really great. So um, thankfully for me, there was a way for them to easily just send me a message and, you know, ask questions. But I will also say it was an easy way for students to just say, hey, how are you doing, Mrs. Killian? <laughs> so it was nice to get those fun messages and calls to, uh, from students who just wanted to say hi and see a familiar face um, because, you know, they come to the library, they see a smile. Um, so, you know, they just really kind of wanted to see that smile. And I had a first grader that would, would call me every day. And the first week she called me, she wouldn't say anything. She would just look and smile and wave and then hang up. <laughs> and then she started, you know, how, how was your day? So it was just really great to see, see things like that. Sometimes they just needed um, that connection. So, so yeah, I was thankful for that. I think in their world too. I mean, when you think about it, you know, when we go and shop online or do stuff online as adults, we're used to the chat window, right? Um, we're used to being able to type in a request and, you know, where as a librarian, when you're in the building and you can just be there face to face, that just happens sort of organically. Right. So now we've had to sort of, you know, create more of that virtual presence and have those chat opportunities for them. And I mean, them are patrons. That's not unusual, but I think probably for us initially, it probably was. And to be able to conduct your whole day that way must have been quite a, quite a shift for everyone, or at least at the beginning, I would imagine. And this is Carrie. I, I will have to tell you, in introducing a, a platform like Teams where students do reply to a message or, or start a message, I had to teach them and show them how to do that. If somebody said something and you liked it and want to reply to it, you click the reply button. Don't start a brand new one. Or or they had the emojis. You can give a thumbs up or a smiley face or whatever and, and just show them how to do that. It, it's new to them, uh, especially our youngest learners. Um, so uh, it, it was fun to see them learn how to use those things. Someone said, oh, I'm really sorry. I accidentally bumped the angry icon. I'm really not angry with you. So, and I was able to tell them, actually, if you hover over it and just click a different one, it'll cover it up. Well, and I mean, I, I know that when I spoke with the teacher librarians in New York, one of the things they said, too, is that there were just, you know, kind of life skills that were being, um, you know, authentically taught um, because of the situation that we were in. And I thought, well, you know, that's what that's what librarians love to do. Right. Like, you know, that's part of the process for us, too. Those life skills are really important as well. Um, okay, ladies, uh, we are coming up on um, uh, about the 50 minute mark. And so I wanted to give you all a chance to um, use this platform. And I'm hearing some conversation in the background. I don't know if somebody else is, can hear that or not. Um, so I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to use this platform to tell me, you know, what do you think is, is um, what's next? I mean, what do you guys envision for the fall? And I know that could be a whole podcast in itself, but, you know, kind of briefly tell me what you think might happen and, and kind of what's keeping you up at night. Um, let's start with you, Deborah, because I think you have a lot keeping you probably up at night. I know you're, you're probably moving into a new role, possibly. You said something to me about going into an elementary librarian position. Yes. Um, unfortunately, the district um, administration decided that the high school librarian position would be abolished. And so they are moving me to an elementary um, school. So yes, that is keeping me up at night. I haven't been in an elementary librarian for over five years. So um, I have to now relearn how to um, um, see to the needs of that population. Um, the um, If I could just kind of backtrack a little bit to um, the fact that, yes, um, it, it was very helpful for me to be able to see the students and to show the students that I was around um, as a librarian. I would always invite them to come see me. And, you know, I would always talk to the teachers about coming to the library. But unfortunately, um, you know, they, they do a lot of Googling. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, I'm hoping that um, in my new role, I can at least touch the lives of the elementary students that I will have and show them that, you know, the world of research is just not always Google. Sure. Well, I think you have, I mean, the folks on the podcast today sound like great people to um, learn from and, and get some mentorship from. And it sounds like PA LibChat might be a great thing, too. <laughs> it's yes. the, I mean, that is a big, it's a big transition going from high school to elementary or elementary to high school. I mean, that's a, those are really significant shifts. So um, best of luck with that. I, and, but it sounds like you have enough experience that you'd be able to tackle that pretty, um, pretty seamlessly, I hope. Yes, I was a, li- I was a elementary librarian when I first started. And um I kind of waffled in between. So yes, I have that under my belt. Yeah, good. Um, how about you, Ellen? Anything, um, what are you thinking about the fall? Are you being Are you being asked to participate in any reopening planning? And yes. know, what's, what's keeping you up at night? <laughs> um, well, we're doing some virtual meetings next week and they're asking for our concerns. But the big thing that I've been doing is um, I've been really grateful that the state library has been sending all of the public library reopening advice and mandates for the different red, yellow, and green zones to the Mm -hmm. school listservs as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of reading that because that's the one thing that we really realized that we are a lot like the public librarians when we were forced off online because we didn't have a captive audience um, as much anymore. We had our learning management systems, but um, it wasn't as contained as we're used to having our population. So I love looking at what they're doing to try and engage some of their non-users or users that are a little more reluctant and steal those strategies and see if they'll work in my setting. So um, I know I was talking with my admin about a few concerns that I had as far as what, what things would look like. And one thing that she was really excited to hear was Compare. I know PSLA has been kind of comparing notes across librarians and then seeing what the public libraries are doing because they're, I hate to say they're field testing it for us, but they have two months of slowly reopening and we can learn from the hiccups they run into. No, I think that's really smart. I've been I've been actually looking at reopening public library reopening statements from not only states and you know only the United States, but I've been also looking at. Um, uh, some of European countries reopening plans for their um, public libraries. And I think there's a lot to learn there. And I do think they're kind of mm-hmm. going first. So I think that's really smart to take a look at, you know, um, no need to yeah. reinvent the wheel, but also kind of learn what they're learning. So you can, you know, obviously improve upon it or, you know, I, I just think, I think the post-secondary librarians also, um, the, the university college libraries are oh, also, absolutely. yeah, they're doing a lot of interesting things and they're thinking things through. And it's just the questions they're asking, you know, like, I, I'm always amazed by what they're asking and they're thinking about that I hadn't even thought about. Um, so it, it's almost like a database of questions we, out there. When we talk across the library profession, I know I've done some programs with public librarians and academic librarians and our populations have such distinct identities mm-hmm. that we approach problem solving so differently. So sometimes when I've hit a wall, I call up my public librarian and we just sit and talk it through and it, I mean, we all approach things so differently and it really helps us when we can lean on each other. Absolutely. Carrie, how about you? Have you been thinking about what's gonna be next? And um, hopefully you've been included in conversations about what reopening might look like and you know, what, yeah, what's going on in, what's going on in your head? <laughs> <laughs> um, so much goes on in your head. And, and actually at this time, there are times when you need to be a leader and a time that you need to be a follower. And I want to be that leader and, and be help with those decisions. But um, at this time, we haven't heard anything about reopening from our district level. We know our state's talking about some things. And, you know, you really just want to know. And people keep saying, what's the fall going to look like? What's your job? What are you doing? And really, I have no idea. And uh, no one really has an idea. Um, in our district, but before I left, um, I was, you know, checking in the library books that came in. I looked at a principal and I said, I just want to let you know that I can still be a librarian with or without swapping of library books. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot more that we do than just, um, you know, the hard, hard copy books back and forth. There's so much more that we do. So, you know, just to remind our administrators that, 
you know, if there's some rule or some law that we're not going to sign, um, you know, the hardcover books out, that doesn't mean you get rid of the people who run that space. There's still so much more. Um, but I'm thinking in my head of ways that we can do that, that will work, um, with, you know, the time periods. So there's lots of things that go in your head, but I also know that, you know, there's times I need to just step back a little bit. And the people who are making those decisions for me, I just need to be prepared and um, handle that with grace and say, yes, I can do that for you. Um, uh, but some, but I'll most likely be a little more proactive and, and send a few emails someone's way saying, here are some ideas I have. Um, you know, that, that usually helps me just to be proactive instead of waiting for someone to come to me. Sure. Um, so Allison, I kind of intentionally saved you for last on this question. <laughs> um, and the reason I did that is because I know the work that you've been doing, um, you know, for advocacy. Um, in the state of Pennsylvania for librarians, um, K through 12 librarians in particular. So I'm curious, like, what do you think's next? And what do you think advocacy is gonna look like in the future when we're talking about, you know, a space maybe not being utilized and right, like, you know, for a lot of administrators, it's, uh, there's books on shelves and kids are checking in and checking out books and that's your job. And I don't see that happening now. Um, and, and also, you know, what does this advocacy look like in the light of, you know, potential budget cuts and things like that? So I'm curious, like, what do you see? And are you being asked to be a part of the reopening, you know, uh, strategies, uh, the thinking through of all of that? Great questions. <laughs> Sorry, so, a lot of questions for a last minute question. <laughs> in terms of the reopening plan, I haven't been formally asked. I, I believe that the uh, building level and district level administrators have been working on that, and they just recently sent out a survey to the parents in our school district to get their feedback. Mm -hmm. um, but like Perry said, supposed to be proactive, and I sent my principal an email explaining. I, I narrowed it down to the three key things that I could do regardless of whether we are face-to-face -face and if they have to use the library as a classroom for social distancing or whether yeah, we're, um, yeah. whether you know, we're virtual. But uh, probably the thing that has kept me up at night is exactly what happened in, um, in Harrisburg with Deborah's position, um, positions being cut. So we have been seeing um, positions being either eliminated or librarians being demoted or moved to a classroom of whatever sort of other certification they may have. That's what keeps me up at night, that some of the library programs are being decimated. So what I did, I, because I couldn't sleep at night, <laughs> I had to get it on paper, so I created an infographic called School Librarians at the Center of School Renewal and Transformation and shared that out. Um, the feedback that I've got, a lot, a lot of people have shared that with their administrators because it really shows that school librarians embrace curiosity and the whole idea of ambiguity and changing priorities is our day. <laughs> That's what we do. So, you know, whether we are within the traditional walls or, or across a virtual environment, school librarians can offer students and parents and faculty and administration resources and tools um, to bridge the achievement gaps that we're going to see with not only the summer slide, but now also the COVID slide um, and help those kids develop agency and strengthen the learning culture. So that um, Infographic was endorsed by uh, Pennsylvania School Librarians Association, and we've been sending it out. I've been getting feedback um, internationally from people in New Zealand and, and several other countries. Um, also, we're working at the at the state level. Our uh, state and local advocacy group has been working, and, and I've been working. I just had a meeting the other day um, with members of the Office of Commonwealth Libraries and our Governor's Advisory Council on Library Development. I think the biggest thing is we have to do everything we can to get rid of the stereotype that we are just checking out books all day long and show them that we help to empower students and teachers with technology and that we are experts in instruction around research and information fluency and digital literacy and that we can be valued through the curation um, that we provide of, you know, uh, valuable, diverse collections of resources, um, and that we are the link to literacy in, in our schools, as well as uh, the people or person who does help to foster equity and belonging. 
so it's a big it's a big job but i think that um, by providing specific examples of how we impact students learning and how we can support our the teachers and the administrators in our school uh, is the only thing that's going to do the trick other than you know, legislation that might come through. Right. Well, and thank you for just walking us through the infographic because I, I do have a link to that. and I will be putting a link to that into the resource companion. But I just, I just wonder, you know, if, if a silver lining here in all of this sort of remote librarianship is a chance to show um, our administrators and our teachers especially that it isn't all about us being in a book warehouse, right? Like, I mean, we are available on demand. We do have all of that expertise. So, you know, I'm hopeful that um, this situation shines the light on those skills in a way that we ne don't necessarily have the opportunity because there is kind of some baggage associated with the with the brand of, you know, librarian. Um, and, and maybe this is a different way to demonstrate that um, in, in, you know, for those of us, who, for those who get to tap it, right, we're still in the situation that there might be teachers who don't necessarily see us as collaboration partners. And I'm not sure how that resolves itself in the current environment, because it was hard to resolve in the previous environment. But um, but I do think that, that, you know, maybe that is a silver lining that maybe we can highlight those skills in a way we haven't had the opportunity to do before, because we've only been seen in one light. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, ladies, this was really great. I want to thank you all for taking time out on your a summer break, no less, to talk with me. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm hoping you all are going to get some um, much earned R&R. &R. And um, again, um, thank you for taking the time out. And when the podcast is um, published, I'm going to give you guys a heads up. Okay. Thank right. you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Yeah, thank Bye. you. Bye.